I'd invite your attention to that which is inspired, infallible, uh, the very mind of God is white, black words on a white page. So grab your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 4. Mark 4. And let me read you um, an episode in the life of Jesus Christ that I think you will find somewhat familiar. You follow as I read. Here we go. Mark 4, verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and, the, and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even wind and sea obey him? The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God, it endures forever. This is, um, I think, number four. Number, number four, I think. In a series that we're doing on spiritual depression, its causes and cures. Um, you know, we preachers are a are an oily bunch. We know that if we want to coax some kind of applause or appreciation of our sermons, all that we have to do is preach on trial, preach on the subject of trial, because. Everybody's wrestling with something. Uh, nobody is 100% happy. And if you are, um, enjoy it because it's not going to last long. But, but my sub, my, the subject of the morning is not trial. However, trial is often the cause of depression, which is my subject for the morning. Um, that is, oftentimes, the cause of depression is trial. So, my comments this morning are going to be designed, hopefully, to aid us in getting out of the depression, not the trial. I hope you can maintain that distinction, and I hope it will become clear as we go. But I'm not talking about trial. I'm talking about trial only as it becomes the cause of depression. And so what I'm hoping to do is um, offer enough that will help us get out of the depression while we're in the trial. All right. Now, let me start like this. Let me start with an observation. Have you ever noticed that, um, that the disciples, the 12 disciples... Uh, get themselves in all kinds of messes in the New Testament, but oftentimes those messes 
take place on water. Or at least in a boat that's on water. Um, John 6, Luke 8, Matthew 8, Matthew 14, uh, Mark 8, Mark 6, and then our text for this morning, which is um, Mark 4. And all of those stories, folks, all of those stories about the disciples in the boat and on water and walking on the water, all that business, they're all about the same thing. The, 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 um, the issue that's in all of those stories has to do with the nature and the operation of faith. All of those stories contain, contain words like danger or um, waves or the boat filling with water or or um, being swamped by the waves or being overcome by the waves or straining at the oars or something like that. Because what those situations are is they're, they're trials that are going on in the life of the individual or the, that group of men called the 12 apostles. And so what you have in all of those stories is a, is a group of people who are about to be swamped by some circumstance, by some set of waves, by some trial. But, um, but I, I said my issue is not trial. My subject of the morning has to do with depression. And, and I want you to notice, guys, that the depression in the story that I read is found in a comment like this. It's in the text. It's verse 38. But he was in the stern asleep on the cushion and they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Hey, Jesus, I'm in a mess, a big old fat, ugly mess. And you don't care about it? You see, the trial has to do with waves and water and boats and drowning and sinking and all that business. But the depression is, you don't care? You don't care about the waves and the trial and the, and the sinking and the drowning? and You don't care about that? You know, guys, it's, it's one thing to be... Be in a set of circumstances where I'm being beat up by those circumstances. But it's an altogether different thing to think. In the midst of my being in those circumstances, he doesn't give a hoot. He really doesn't care what I'm experiencing or what I'm going through. The real issue, folks, I hope you see, is not so much the trial... It's the notion that in the midst of my trial, that all I get from heaven is indifference. He really doesn't give a hoot. You know, there's a, there's a couple of scenes that I want to draw your attention to, um, that, that are similar to that. Um, one is when Jesus was 12 years old. It, it takes place in Luke chapter two. Remember, he was 12 years old and, and his family had come down from Nazareth into Jerusalem. Uh, to do uh, Passover, and um, and and they left, 
And the family left and uh, they realized once they'd gone a day out of Jerusalem that Jesus wasn't with them. Remember that? And by the way, that's not really that <coughs> unusual. They traveled in caravans and Mary and Joseph probably thought that somebody else had him. And so they go a, a, a day out of Jerusalem and they realize, where's Jesus? Where did he go? We lost him. And so then they have to go a day back, which is two days. And then it takes a day to find him. So on the third day, his mother Mary finds him in the temple. And she is at the end of her rope. And she comes to Jesus and says, Why have you treated us this way? Did you ever want to ask that? Oh, I bet you have. Why do you treat me like this? Hey, Jesus, by the way, I'm one of your lovers. That is, I'm one of the ones that love you. I think it was... Teresa of Avila, who said God would have a whole lot more friends if he treated the ones he had nicer. But, but you, you ever want to say, wait a minute. Why are you treating me like this? There's another scene that I, that I want to show you that, but I got it. It, it takes a little bit of explaining. You know, ladies and gentlemen, that, that the second person of the Trinity doesn't show up until the New Testament. That is, he doesn't show up on planet Earth. You know that. His name's Jesus. He doesn't show up until the New Testament, right? However, there are numerous types of Christ in the Old Testament. Um, events, things, and particularly people who are called Christ types. They're types of Christ. They're people who give you insight about the Christ who will one day come. The foremost Christ type in the Old Testament is a guy by the name of Joseph. You remember him? He's the one that had the coat of many colors and his brothers hated him. You know, he was loved by his father, but his brothers hated him. And so they sold him into slavery. He goes down to Egypt. He ultimately ascends to the uh, right hand of Pharaoh. Big famine. They gather all the uh, the food, and the whole world is starving. And so they got to come to Egypt to get food. And one of the families that comes to Egypt to get food was his family that sold him into slavery. Remember that? <laughs> so, so his his uh, his brothers show up where Joseph is running things. They want to buy some food, and so they buy some food, and things happen, and then. In the, in the middle of this episode, Joseph recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. Joseph does something that, that I just love. This is in chapter 44. I'm just going to read you two verses. You don't need to turn, but this is 44, 1 and 2. Then he, that is Joseph, commanded the steward of his house, fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. And put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest with his money for the grain. And they did as Joseph told them. Now, guys, do you know what's going on there? Joseph is orchestrating a set of circumstances that are, that are designed to make his brothers absolutely spin out of control. Joseph cooks up this scheme, ladies and gentlemen. He says, okay, uh, boys, come here for a second. (laughs) Here's what I want you to do. 
I want you to take their grain sacks and I want you to fill them with as much grain. And then I want you to stick their money back in there. And then when you, on the sack of the youngest brother, put my silver cup in there. <laughs> yeah, stick that silver cup in there because I'm designing a set of circumstances that are going to make them spin out of control. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus does that too. Do you understand that? That the one who is so dear to us orchestrates a set of circumstances to put us into a nosedive. Because there's purpose in those things. But in the midst of the nosedive... We're all stewing and stirring, and somebody says, Why do you treat me like this? Don't you care that I'm drowning? And that, ladies and gentlemen, is called depression. There's a, there's a difference between the trial itself and what it produces in us. And what you see in Mark 4 is a group of men who are in a, in a trial where they're afraid. Circumstances are spinning out of control. But the thing that is the absolute nadir of the event is the idea that in the midst of what I'm experiencing, he doesn't give a hoot. Now, guys, what, is, what does Jesus do in the midst of this as he deals with his, his buddies? Um, well, in all of those stories that I mentioned to you, uh, all six of those stories, there's some kind of element in it that goes like this. Um, have you no faith? Or, um, oh, ye of little faith? Or in Luke 8, which is the one I like the most, but in Luke 8, Jesus says, where is your faith? You remember I said that the goal of all of these stories is to teach us something about the nature and the operation of faith. Because in the midst of them, folks, what's going to be required is some kind of operation of faith. And so in, while these, these circumstances are unglued and I'm, you know, having a pity party about, he doesn't care that I'm hurting like this. Jesus wades into the, search, the, the, the situation and says, hey, wait a minute. Where did your faith go? I mean, you've got it. That is, you've got faith, but... It's not being put to use at this particular moment. Um, and, and even though you have it, you're not acting as though you do have it. So um, where'd it go? Um, what'd you do with it? Because the issue in all of these circumstances, guys, is the nature and the operation of faith. How it's supposed to operate. In the midst of my trial. Instead of it, my trial that is, leading me into a pit of despair. 
There's there's supposed to be things that go on that keep me out of that pit of despair. And it has to do with the nature and the operation of faith. You have data at hand, on hand, about my ability to speak to wind and waves. Now, tease that out. Tease that data out such that your heart hears what it says. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is called faith. That is, when I take the data that I do have and tease it out in such a way that my heart hears it. Now, what I want to do is try to show you what that's going to look like. That is, if if I were to tease it out, if I were to take the data that I have on hand already and tease it out, what is it going to look like? When, when faith is operating, what's it going to look like? I want you to look at the text with me, guys, that in the... In, Mark chapter 4. Let me show you what it's going to look like. First of all, notice what Jesus does once they've awakened him out of the midst of his slumber. He says in verse 40, why are you so afraid? Guys, if faith acts like faith ought to act, then a Christian should never be at wit's end. No matter what the circumstances, not that he won't experience some temporary jolt of, whoa, but he's never to the place where he has lost it. We, we, guys, we are never meant to be carried away or to be, we are never, we are never meant to allow feelings to carry us away. So, Stop spending so much time analyzing your feelings. They're the shallowest part of you. And, um, and, and God is doing a work in the deepest part of you. Our responsibility as Christians is, is not to analyze feelings. Our, our responsibility is to believe. It is to remind. It is to rehearse. It is to, it is to talk to yourself. The first thing that Jesus draws attention to is the runaway feelings that are taking place in these guys' souls. That means that if faith were working like faith is supposed to work, then we would never be at wit's end. Secondly, um, that means, that is, if feelings are not to be the things that guide me, what is supposed to guide me because what this is suggesting folks is the primacy of the mind in connection with faith that is feelings though apart um, were never meant to dominate tell me where do you think the question do you not care about me where do you think that came from Do you think that came from their feelings or from what they know? Gang, um, 
One of the things that you must recognize about the operation of faith is one of the things that's going to get in the way is your whole emotional life. Because faith was never meant to be guided by what you felt. There is to be the dominance and the primacy of what you know as faith operates. Let me suggest, just just suggest what that might look like. That is, if I am thinking rightly, how how is that going to, what is that going to look like? Again, take a look at the text. Here's something that it might look like. First of all, why am I in this boat? Well, go up with me to um, verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he, that is Jesus, said to them, let us go across to the other side. The other side of what? Well, the other side of the uh, Sea of Galilee, which is going to require what? A boat. Now, guys, here's the point. What am I doing in this boat? I'm in this boat because Jesus is the one that told me to get in here. Um, Now... He's the one that's running this show, and he told me to get in this boat and go to the other side. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, he doesn't have any concern about this trial I'm in. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. He's the one that did this. But I don't feel like he cares, or he would get us out of this. And there, ladies and gentlemen, is our mistake. Gang. Who told you that obedience is some kind of guarantee against adversity? It's not. That is, these guys are out in a boat obeying what Jesus says, and that's when the the storm hits. Obedience is no guarantee that you will not taste adversity. That idea, that is, that if I if I do X, Y, Z, that I'm going to be rid of all of the problems, that comes from, I don't know where it came from. It comes from some kind of theology of success or the God of Sesame Street or something like that. I don't know where it came from. But it didn't come from here. These guys, why am I in this boat? That is, if I, if I am teasing faith out, one of the things that I might ask is, why am I in the midst of this? Well, in this particular instance, I'm in it because Jesus told me, I'm right where he told me to be. Now, the other thing that, that is very interesting, I think, about this story is that it concludes with this in verse 41. Here's the second thing that, that it might look like. Who then is this? Gang, I would submit to you that the biggest problem that these guys have got while they're experiencing their trial is they have not figured out the answer to that question. Did you understand that? The reason that they are wrestling with all of their emotional life The reason that they are teetering on the fine edge of depression is because one of the major things that they haven't done is figure out who is in this boat with them. 
Do you really think that a boat that is carrying the Son of Man is going to sink? But because we don't understand who He is, whenever the wind starts blowing and the waves start rising, we begin to wonder. First of all, who is He? And Secondly, does he not care about me? Guys, what I'm saying is, your emotional life is never to lead you. Your mind is. And so the things that might have served them well on this occasion is asking this. Why am I where I am? And who is this that's in this boat with me? Now, let, let, let me... Let me let me try to wrap this up by, by putting that in capsule forms. I want to give you six little, um, oh, I don't know, uh, bite-sized um, propositions about the nature and the operation of faith. It's just really going to summarize what I've just said. But hopefully, because all of these things, guys... In the, in the midst of the trial in which you find yourself, the issue has to do with the exercise, the operation, and the nature of faith. Okay? So if, if you end up in depression, it will be because the faith that you have has been lost. That is, where is your faith? It, it's gone somewhere. And so it's got to operate better than that. So let me give it to you in just six Bite-sized propositions, all right? Here's what we've learned out of this story about the nature and the operation of faith. Number one, faith is not a matter of your feelings. Now, folks, that is widely known, but rarely is that applied. You know, guys, feelings are a very complex matter. You know, have you ever said, I bet you have, I know I have, I bet you have said something like this. Well, I don't even understand why I'm so upset. No, we don't understand why. I mean, here I am upset and I don't even understand why I am upset. My point is, we are taking very complex emotions that we don't even understand ourselves and we're drawing conclusions about who God is and how he operates out of things that we don't even understand. Guys, the operation of faith in, in the life of the believer doesn't, isn't guided by your feelings. It is not a matter of faith. Number two, faith is a response to truth. Guys, feelings are always the result of something else. That is... I'm feeling a certain thing because of something else. I, very frankly, my feelings might be guided by dyspepsia or PMS. Who knows? But feelings are always the result of something else. They are, they are, they're unpredictable. But they are to be managed by the application of what I believe to be true. Because Faith is the response to truth. I lasso runaway feelings by a rope of truth. 
I get a hold of myself by reminding my heart what it is that I believe to be true. Third, this is kind of interesting, guys. Faith does not act automatically. That is, it's it's not some kind of magical formula. It's interesting to me that Jesus looks at the twelve and says, that these are these are primarily believing people, and he says, Where did your faith go? You need it at this moment, but it has deserted you. Then call for it. You see, faith is something that must be summoned. And, and that's what Jesus meant by, where is your faith? It's time to summon it. Go get it. It, 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 it might take a while for me to, to restore order in my soul, but I, I go get it by reminding myself of what I believe to be true. It doesn't just kick into gear, guys. It's got to be summoned forth. Faith is an activity. That is, it's something that's that's got to be exercised. It can be small. It can be big. It can be. It can have degrees to it. There is. Um, it grows. It grows from small to big. And there are two things that makes a small faith grow into a big one. You know what they are? Two things, folks. One of them is mentioned in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Faith cometh by hearing, by hearing by the word of Christ. So one of the things that will prompt stronger and greater faith is... But here's the other one. The other thing that will make small faith grow big... Is pain. I wish that weren't true, but it is. Um, we are so fascinated by sin that the that the one thing that will help us ungrasp or unclutch our our love of sin is pain. And so, those are the two things that take small faith. And makes it bigger. Here's the fifth proposition. Faith is a refusal to panic. Elizabeth Barrett Browning, you've heard of her. She said, faith is perpetual unbelief kept quiet. That's what we've got, folks. Perpetual unbelief. And faith is the stuff that keeps it quiet because faith refuses to panic. Guys, never should the Christian be in the place where he has lost it. Now, do we go through periods in our circumstances that are just shake us to the core? Sure, they do. But while faith operates... Or when it does, when faith acts like faith ought to act, it gets us to the place where we overcome the panic. And it comes about by reminding myself of what I know. I I, I see the waves, I see the wind, I see the difficulty that I'm in, but, and that but is the beginning of the operation of faith. Um, 
Remember the story when Peter gets out of the boat and walks on the water? Remember all that? Folks, it wasn't the wind and the waves that sunk Peter. It was that he lost the faith that he had exercised by getting out of the boat in the first place. And then six, and finally, I hope you realize that, and, and when, I, when I'm talking about faith, at least to this point, I'm talking about the faith that Christians already have. But the faith that we have, here's the number, is compatible with doubt. You do know that, don't you? That the faith that we possess is imperfect. Um, it, it is something that opposes and combats and, it's, and, it, and it fights all drifts towards self-confidence. Yes. But it is compatible with, it is imperfect. It's compatible with doubt, but it's never compatible with presumption. Gang, um, I, I'm, I'm not promising you that you will ever understand all that you're experiencing. You can, um, you may never get an explanation as to what you're going through. And you can ask why as much as you would like to ask it. But you may not get an answer to that question this side of heaven. But the great antidote for spiritual depression is knowledge of Bible doctrine. Guys, we are so susceptible to our own vacillations in emotional life. Because in large measure, we're ignorant about what this says. What we want is an experience, an, an, an emotional high. We want a meeting, another meeting to go through where I can walk out with tears in my eyes and all that kind of business. And what God gave us, he gives us that from time to time. But what he, what he provided for us is a book. A book that describes himself and describes reality. And so the thing that helps us integrate with the reality in which we find ourselves is what he's already said to us. And the reason that faith fails us, folks, is because we're not aware. We're, we're just as benighted as those guys in this 12. But who is this Savior that I've committed myself to? Who is he? Let me tell you something that he is. He's a savior that authors sets of circumstances so that we can find out who we really are. He's a savior that authors sets of circumstances so that he can then ask us, where did it go? You had it. Where did it go? Why isn't it operating? What happened to it? He puts us in situations where... We spin out of control. And the only thing that will stop the spin is the exercise of faith. And faith is a response to truth. And it's the truth that arises from this book when he describes himself and he describes reality. Guys, I said way back in May that 
depression for the Christian is a spiritual reality. It is. And I, and I told you about the number of prominent people whose names we knew who, who have discussed their own depression. And guys, I, I, I think sooner or later all of us are going to taste it. But we taste way too much. And it lasts way too long. Because in the midst of it, somebody needs to ask, Hey, uh, where is your faith? Where'd that go? Because you got it. But you're not, it's not faith acting like faith ought to act. And so the spiral continues until ultimately we find something on which we can sink, a foundation in which we can sink and we can stand. It's a response to truth, guys, that's going to stop the spinning. Now, let me say one other thing before I quit. I have been talking to you for 25 odd minutes about about how faith operates in a Christian. But guys, I want to close by telling you um, what I've been saying has application only to those who are right now presently trusting in Jesus Christ for their soul's redemption. Let me speak for a moment just quickly to those who have not yet exercised that faith. Guys, um, when Peter stepped out of the boat to walk on water, you remember that? Um, the reason that he was going to sink is not because of the size of the waves. The reason that he was going to sink was his failure to look to Christ. Okay? The, the winds and the waves don't sink us. It's the, it's the absence of faith that sinks us. Whether Peter sinks or whether he walks on water depends on whether he focuses on Jesus or the waves, okay? I say all that to say this. As for your eternity, where you spend it depends on where you ultimately put your faith. In Christ or in yourself? One of those will sink you. And just to make sure that I leave no doubt, ladies and gentlemen, there are only two options. Either you are trusting in yourself to save you or you are trusting in Christ. Trusting in yourself will sink you. Make no mistake about it. Our Father, I do pray that you will um, speak to your people that who struggle and we struggle too much. Um, we walk more. 
by sight than we walk by faith. And we uh, get ourselves in all kinds of messes because we do. And so I pray, Lord, that you might um, send a bit of medicinal help for your people, for all of us who have struggled in the past and and will will struggle in the future. But cause us to see, O God, that our feelings are running away with us and they're getting us into all kinds of um, messes that we don't have to get into. And I pray that as we understand a little bit more about what it means to, to exercise the faith that we have, that some of this can be brought to a halt. But Father, if you brought people here this morning who have not yet met Jesus Christ, who have never made a, um, a decision to get in the boat with Jesus, but are still thinking that they can somehow save themselves by some merit that they can provide, would you cause them to see what foolishness, utter foolishness that is? Would you prompt them to see by the power of the Holy Spirit that the only solution we have is the solution given to us by the finished work of Jesus Christ? Draw people to him this morning, O God. Do it for Jesus' sake. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name.